hello and welcome to the Big Six Athlete Podcast. Uh, my name is Rami Vardy, and today I'm with Jake Remert. Uh, uh, Liel, do you want to introduce the Big Six Athlete? Yeah, so uh, basically the Big Six Athlete, our brand focuses on uh, maximizing strength in what we call the Big Six movements, which are the squat, bench press, uh, deadlift, overhead press, chin-ups, and dips. Uh, the reason why we came up with this type of, of uh, approach is because we know that there aren't a lot of programs out there that combines two of these elements of body weight and barbells at the same program. Uh, and we know that a lot of people would love to, to train that way and not to choose only one direction. Um, and we know that we love train, training that way and coaching that way. Uh, so that's basically our whole idea. Did I miss something, Rami? No, that's perfect. Thank you. Um, and today we're going to talk about auto-regulation and specifically about reps and reserve. So, uh, Jake, we'll just start with, uh, uh, maybe can you explain about auto-regulation and RIR very briefly so our audience uh, will know what we're talking about? For sure. Um, so I think auto-regulation in the simplest way that I like to try to conceptualize it is, it is really just adjusting your plan based on how you feel, right? Like, uh, I don't know how to boil it down more than that, but it's, you know, there there can be stimuli either from the training itself, maybe it's how your warm-up sets feel or that sort of thing, or maybe it's from stuff outside the gym, you know, lack of sleep, nutrition-related things, stress-related things, all that kind of stuff. So um, we're basically just looking at the full picture of all of that, saying, how is this seeming to be affecting my performance and uh, then adjusting your plan, whether it's the load on the bar or the reps you're doing or whatever. And uh, accordingly, right? So the the goal with that, I think, is in a, in a weird way, it's sort of trying to maintain the proximity to failure or the RIR, like you're saying, like a lot of times if you feel weaker that day, we might adjust the load on the bar or how many reps we're doing to try to keep the RIR from getting out of hand and just, you know, going to failure on everything on accident, you know, so um, and I guess to be clear about that for anyone unfamiliar, RIR, reps and reserve. How many reps away from muscular failure that you are? Um, obviously, you can adjust all, all sorts of different things, you know, with auto regulation. So I, th I think that's an interesting point that uh, might be fun to talk about, about like, how do we choose what to adjust? Right. Um, but I guess, to, does that make sense? To, did I miss anything as far as you guys are concerned? No, that's great. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, so we have a lot of questions for today. So we'll start with a with a big one so um we're thinking about the differences between uh strength and hypertrophy regarding uh, reps and reserve so uh how would you program reps and reserve when you talk about strength versus hypertrophy how would it look um so yeah <laughs> i know it's a big um, topic <laughs> it is a big topic but it's uh it's a good one man so i think that i guess i'll start strength first um usually the I, I sort of treat top sets or like exposure to the heaviest load of the day a little bit differently from some of the other volume work that we're doing um because i think that that seems to fit pretty well with the research right so right now it's seeming like for strength the proximity to failure matters but it kind of depends on how we're achieving those different proximities to failure. So if it's be happening because of heavier loads, meaning it's the same reps per set, but it's a heavier weight. So you get a little bit closer to your maximal abilities. In that sense, closer proximity to failure seems to help with strength development because it's a heavier load. 
But mm-hmm. if that closer proximity to failure is because of more reps at a given load, that doesn't seem to help a whole lot. And we're just kind of, uh, you know, we're, we're getting closer to failure, maybe a little bit more fatigue for not really any additional strength benefit. So it doesn't seem super worth it. Um, and then, uh, you know, there, there's the, the idea of as we get closer to failure, the bar is going to move more slowly and that velocity and that force production is probably important for strength, uh, as well. Right. So I think it makes sense. Top sets, make sure that we're having that load go up, um, you know, week to week. Mm-hmm. And then on the back off work, not stressing quite as much about, you know, forcing a load progression. If it's there, absolutely take it right. But um, just being a bit more conservative with those sets. So usually what that ends up looking like, you know, for, for a lot of the people that I work with is the back off sets, the RPE target or the RIR, sorry, uh, <laughs> interchangeably RPE and RIR. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in the powerlifting world seem to prefer RPE. RPE. Um, uh, right. Trying to, I don't know. It, it, it sort of helps them account for the, the, the load and, and the velocity and the discomfort and that sort of thing, rather than just thinking about reps and reserve, it's like sort of a, a layer of difficulty in there, but they're really one in the same anyway, right. trying to keep the proximity to failure, um, you know, in, in a range of somewhere, I don't know, three to five reps away from failure for the most part on those back off sets, right? Those more, you know, maybe it's sets of three to six or something like that on average, a lot of times, sometimes a little bit more depending on the phase of training. Um, but then whereas the top sets are a bit more, you know, I'll start a block off a bit further from failure, a bit easier, let that load increase every week, get us closer and closer to not necessarily one rep max, but you know, your maximum abilities for a triple or a double or whatever. Um, so that's kind of the, uh, the overall structure I like to do for, the the main movements so to speak and then maybe we do some other accessory work that we kind of let things get closer to failure and, and that kind of thing but um that's the, the that's the, the main structure especially on those main movements because i want to make sure that the fatigue and the performance are as predictable as, as they can be and i think if we, we can c- control proximity to failure pretty pretty well like that that seems to help a lot um on the hypertrophy side though we just have less to worry about right it's just so much more uh simple and flexible and i think on on that end you know there's the meta regression that um our lab put out pretty recently that was led by zach robinson did an amazing job with the analysis that was finding that the closer we get to failure for hypertrophy seems like we get a little bit more growth out of it and even at failure is probably the best there are some limitations to that of course right there's a lot of estimations that went into that analysis that we did the best we could, but probably not perfect. Um, and there's also some, some things with a lot of those studies training two or three times a week, uh, on average, whereas a lot of people training like bodybuilders train more often than that. So if we try to extrapolate that, it's not perfect, but anyway, it seems like RIR matters for hypertrophy. The closer we get to failure on average is probably good. There's a sweet spot there, I think. So I'm not saying we should train a failure on everything for all of our hypertrophy stuff, but I think on average, trying to be relatively close is probably a good idea, but that's really where I tend to leave it in terms of really stressing about the, uh, the RIR and that stuff. And and just maybe you start a, a block of training off. Most things are, you know, I don't know, maybe the heavier lifts, things that you're doing sets of, you know, eight or whatever, right? Heavy, generally heavier stuff. Maybe you're leaving three, four reps in the tank, maybe on some of your sets of 15 bicep curls, 
leave one rep in the tank, right? It doesn't matter that much. It's not that fatiguing. And then, uh, you know, as you kind of go through the block and you're trying to add a little bit of weight here and there or add a rep here and there, you know, however you want to progress, you sort of naturally get closer to failure anyway. So uh, you kind of get that built-in progression and slowly getting closer to failure. And those sets are probably a little bit more simulative, but, um, you know, that sort of thing. But pretty simple, really, for hypertrophy, uh, which is uh, yeah. kind of nice. In, in a way, it's a little bit more boring, I guess, than the than the strength stuff. But um, I don't know. It's also yeah. nice to not have to think about it quite as much. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, thank you. So basically what you're saying is uh, that for hypertrophy, you would like to to work closer to failure. Of course, there's a downside to it because uh, you accumulate fatigue, and uh, at some point you will limit the amount of volume you can achieve. If I got it correctly, uh, that really quick that that's a really interesting point. That's we've been talking about that a lot in our lab recently. Um, that that is the rationale, right? Um, if we go to failure all the time, we get more fatigue. We're probably not going to be able to train as much. We know volume is super important for hypertrophy. So like, that's probably not the best, but I will say, um, I personally love training really close to failure and doing a lot of stuff like that, uh, just cause I think it's fun. And, uh, for myself, a couple of the other guys in the lab doing some similar stuff and even some clients I've been kind of experimenting with it, it just doesn't destroy you as much as you would think, right? Like, like, um, not taking everything to failure by any means, right. But just more than you would typically maybe program. Um, it's, it certainly is a little bit more fatiguing, but I do think we kind of get used to it and kind of adapt to it. Um, so I, I, I'm not totally sure that all of the training close to failure is going to sabotage our ability to do volume in a large way for the vast majority of people. Maybe it does. And I think that that's an area that, um, is ripe for research in these next few years. And hopefully we get some really cool stuff. Uh, we actually have a study going on in our lab right now that is going to not going to answer that questions, but it's going to start, right? It's, it's a step in the direction, at least um, just trying to figure out, you know, do we prioritize going to failure or close maybe at the expense of some volume or do we prioritize volume at the expense of getting as close to failure, right? Like it's a, it's an unknown, uh, but, but we'll see. But I think for now that the safe, the, the safe bet is exactly what you're saying to, uh, you know, maybe get pretty close to failure at least on most things for hypertrophy specifically if we have strength goals at the same time there's some other considerations there right we don't want to be too sore so you can't perform and that kind of thing but um yeah we'll see anyway i generally agree with you but i think that is an interesting thing that uh might change as we get more research yeah um i, I think well that, that's an interesting topic if you would like to maybe sacrifice some of your volume to get closer to failure uh, but I would like to talk about something you mentioned, uh, which is an area of fluctuation across the mesocycle. And you said for strength, you might want to start with more of a conservative approach. And as you go throughout the cycle, you might want to work harder and increase the loads, maybe increase the reps, whatever scheme, whatever uh, progression scheme you may choose. Uh, but my question is, how would you uh, indicate or how would you assess if you got stronger? or if you just start easier and work harder to achieve something. Like maybe you started, and I'm just throwing generic numbers, maybe you started the mesocycle with 100 kilos uh, with, at a three RIR and finished the mesocycle with 110, zero RIR. How would you indicate if you really got stronger or you just worked harder? Yeah, that's a very important question. Um, <laughs> I, I think what I typically do is try to compare not so much within 
a block, but with like across multiple ones. So like um, a, a typical structure I like to do a lot of times is maybe we do a block where the top set is a set of three and we're kind of getting those heavier week to week. And then the next block, it's maybe sets of two that are ascending that way. And then the next one is maybe singles. And then when we come back when we recycle and go back through that again. Now, does my triple at, you know, three reps away from failure, is that a little bit heavier than it was three months ago or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, so just kind of extending the time scale out a bit. Um, I will say, though, even within a block, sometimes you do get some clues like, you know, um, I've certainly seen it all the time where we add a little bit of weight, but the RIR is the same. I'm like, awesome. We definitely got a little bit stronger there. Or maybe they rated their RIRs, you know, uh, a, a bit higher with the heavier loads. But when we, when we look at the video, it's like, ooh, that actually moved about the same speed or it looks, you know, uh, kind of similar to that uh, lighter load the previous week and, and that sort of thing. So um, we get those little indications within blocks, I think. But um, what is the the easiest comparison, I think, is sort of those bigger bigger time scales where we zoom out a bit more. Great. Yeah. Wow. And so basically what you're saying is that uh, we're better off looking at it uh, over a few mesocycles and not just one. So just to be clarified, uh, maybe I'll start a mesocycle with 100 kilos at a three RIR and finish it with 110 at a zero RIR. But maybe I'll start the next mesocycle with 105 three RIR. And then if I do it consistently and then zoom out, I can see the progression. I might not see it as, as a straight line or as a linear progression, but I will see the progression over a macro cycle. Now, 100%. honestly, another point I would like to add is that honestly, I can't say for sure that I have three more reps, especially when I go uh, higher, uh, when, when the reps are higher. Uh, I can't say for sure that I have three more reps and in the fourth rep, I'm going to fail. And if I can't say it, I can say it consistently, but I do have, and it is something I would like to hear your opinion about it, uh, is the feeling. Maybe I'm with 105 kilos and it feels more or less as it felt when I was with 95 kilos two months ago. So it is also something to take a, as an indication for getting stronger. Yeah, I would, I would say so, definitely. So um, our, next, our next question for today is, uh, how would you uh, uh, do things differently uh, regarding RIR when it comes to primary exercises, like your goal exercises, um, uh, and the, the assistance movements? Like, how would you approach the RIR? Uh, like, for instance, if I have a back squat as, as the main movement, and I have as a... a a front squat as an assistance movement. How would you choose the, the RIR scheme between the, those movements or, yeah? Yes. Um, I think what I like to do is think about what's the goal of the set, right? Is, is the set for strength or is it for hypertrophy or is it, you know, somewhere in between, whatever. And typically my, my general rule of thumb, the more it's the goal is strength, typically the more reps in reserve that I will leave at least at, at the start of the block. And then, you know, as mm -hmm. you kind of go forward, it decreases a bit, but uh, whereas the more hypertrophy folks it is, or the higher the rep range, that sort of thing, usually the less RIR I'll, I'll tend to, to go for. Um, and then that, that seems to, to guide uh, at least me pretty well in my, uh, the way my brain works. So, you know, now, for just a, say a that movement. for most individuals, it will be the opposite. Like they will do the opposite. Not It's not yeah. that good, but yeah. they will do the opposite. In strength training, they will start like... very hard and they don't have enough room for progress. And mm -hmm. in hypertrophy, they will work like 
15 reps from failure and then they'll end the block not gaining any strength or any <laughs> muscle mass, right? Exactly yeah, what that's... I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that is that is true. Uh, that, that's pretty funny how that works out. Um, and, and I think I've certainly been there, right? I don't know about you guys, but back you know when we started out, it's like the culture, especially around uh, powerlifting and just strength in general. It's like you you almost force it, right? Like you just you gotta lift heavier, you gotta lift heavier, and then you of course wind up you know you fail lifts all the time and, and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. learn that one the hard way. But here we are. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's generally what I try to do, and then you know I might look a little bit more um, detail on like you know if you want to get really pedantic with it, like a primary movement versus a secondary movement versus a accessory or whatever, right? Um, so let's say maybe um, we're doing back squatters our main thing, and and maybe you do a top set with some back offsets, or maybe you just do three by five or whatever, right? That's also there, there's so much uh everyone loves the top set thing which is great i think it's a great way to program but like there's nothing wrong with doing straight sets either right um people like to meme on on starting strength sometimes but it's it's still it's really solid right and it, <laughs> nothing wrong with the basics um but anyway so you know if we're doing something like that like i said maybe a little bit lower rir to start with or, or sorry higher rir to start with let it get a bit lower as we go by increasing the load if we have those kind of secondary-ish movements, maybe you're doing sets of, I don't know, uh, five to eight, five to 10, something like that. It's still heavy, right? But it's not like, you know, leg extensions for sets of 15. Then with those, I'm kind of middle ground. Usually I might start a block off with, I don't know, uh, four reps in the tank somewhere, somewhere in there. Um, you know, if it winds up being five or six, like that's not a huge deal. But because, uh, again, it's it's going to get heavier as we go. Right. And you're going to naturally get closer to failure. But um, somewhere so, sort of in that middle ground, three reps, four reps, whatever, away from failure. Whereas those higher rep things, you know, especially for things like arms, whatever. Right. If, you know, if, if you not, I guess not everybody wants to do, you know, biceps and shoulders or whatever, if they're just focused on strength. But um, in my experience, a lot of people still want to have jacked arms. So might as well. Um, and in that sense, like just go to town basically, right? You're not going to fatigue yourself too much. Maybe you leave a rep or two in the tank early on and then, you know, just go for it and have fun. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, now I'm thinking maybe about a question. Um, if there are individuals that you won't talk with them, like uh, like uh, clients that you work with, that you won't talk with them about reps and reserve, because I think that for some people, it, it can be become like too nuancey and make them think too much about their training, right? And if they just leave it outside, they can just do what they need to do and, and progress. So I, I I want to hear your opinion now. You are absolutely right. Um, I'm actually one of those people, hence why I like to train. <laughs> just go really close to failure. That way I don't have to think about it. Um, right. But uh, I, I think for strength, that gets tough, right? Because we don't want to go super close to failure all the time. Mm -hmm. So a solution to that, um, I think is using percentages, which has sort of become like this weird, you know, people, people are like RPE is better because percentages aren't individualized. Um, Like, I guess, but you can, you can individualize the percentages, right? right? It's it's not that hard. Um, So I think that can be a great way to go, right? And sort of using, I think as the coach, or as the person, you know, overseeing the, the the training, I think it's good to still have the reps in reserve, like that framework in your head of what you're kind of aiming for with those percentages. 
But then that way you can just tell the client, like, we're going to do five reps at 80%. And then you just tell me after the set what it felt like, or send me a video and I'll look at it and use my best Mm -hmm. judgment, what it looked like, that sort of stuff. And then, you know, we use that feedback to then adjust the percentages to keep it at roughly that proximity to failure that we're aiming for. And, you know, that gets a little bit, it's a little bit more work for the coach, right? Because you, you have to use a lot more of that feedback. You have to, it's gotta be, you know, it's probably going to be different for different exercises, even within the same person, certainly different person to person. I've seen some, I do this with, you know, I would say not quite half uh, of the people that I, that I work with currently. There's quite a few where I do this thing with percentages, um, at least on the main lifts, um, sometimes accessory stuff, you know, especially for powerlifters, it's just not as huge of a worry. We still want to make sure that we're doing a good job with it. But, um, but anyway, so it's in, in my experience, like there's massive differences between people sometimes, you know, like uh, a set of five with three reps in the tank for one person might be 80% for another person might be 60%. Like it's, it's crazy, you know, so um, you really got to keep an eye on it. But I, I do think that it works really well. Um, and it seems pretty stable over time. Like it's not like, uh, you know, if, if your set of five with three RR is 80%, it's going to be roughly that as you move forward, at least it right. seems that that way in my experience, it's not going to all of a sudden, it's not going to be 90 or 70 or whatever, you know, it kind of, kind of stays pretty stable. The load will of course increase as you get stronger, right? A percentage of a higher one RM, but, um, but yeah, it seems to be a, a great way to go and, and helps to kind of solve that problem of people just thinking so much during their session and it gets distracting or it gets, you know, just frustrating or, or whatever. Right. I, I would like to, if it's okay, I would like to add something about the, the primary exercises and the assistance exercises and the differences between them. Now, um, I would say that we can't uh, accurately talk about uh, the, the RIR scheme without saying what are we trying to achieve those assistance assistance programs because I might choose uh, to work on my to enhance hypertrophy in order to have more muscle mass to help me get stronger or I might choose assistance exercise to work on the skill maybe um, so I might I might say that uh, if I would uh, want to to enhance my hypertrophy I would maybe close uh, work closer to failure and if I would like to work on the skill or the technique, maybe I won't push that much, or um, uh, even the, the the progression. I would uh, I would uh, choose um, smaller loading increments. Does that make any sense? Maybe. Absolutely, I 100% agree. Um, I, I've definitely done things, and you can ah connections. So you can even sort of connect this with the percentages, right? Because uh, the the research is pretty clear that if you're trying to stop really far from failure. <laughs> Um, especially, you know, six or more reps away from failure. If you want to do technique work, like usually we're staying pretty far away. It's just so hard to judge, right? So in that case, using that percentage, you know, maybe I know their primary squat day, this percentage for this many reps gives them this RIR. So then I can say, okay, let me use that knowledge to program a percentage for this that I know is going to be 10 reps in reserve but that would be impossible for them to judge this way. They have the percentage. All they need to worry about is that it's easy and that they can, you know, work on whether the, excuse me, keeping the velocity high or whatever technique thing we're working on, then they can just, you know, be an athlete and execute the plan. Whereas, you know, us in the background, we kind of know what we're shooting for and can adjust as needed. Yeah. But yeah, I 100% agree. Yeah. I would say even that 
for different goals, I would uh, make some different exercise selection. Like if my goal yes. is hypertrophy for the squat, so I might choose something like a leg press, but it doesn't work on my skill. So if I would like to work on my skill, maybe I would choose something else. So it all uh, comes to what generates the most fatigue. And uh, according to this, I might choose my assistance movements. Um, so yeah, Ron, what, you do, what would you like to say about it? Or would you like to move to our next topic? Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking about the next, <laughs> the next question. Uh, so the next, next question is the RIR, um, the difference between RIR and low uh, volume versus high volume, uh, the number of sets you're doing. So I, I think that in general, it kind of circles back a little bit to what we said earlier about, you know, it, the more we're pushing the envelope with proximity to failure, probably a little bit more fatiguing. Um, in my experience, people do, do tend to adapt pretty well to it, but probably a good idea to go a little bit less on the volume side, at least at first, right? I think this is actually, I literally just did this with one of my clients over his last block where he's focused on hypertrophy only right now. He's like, I want to break from the strength stuff. Let me just do this. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about this topic and RIR and, you know, should we go to failure and all this? And um, we we basically tested it out, like how, how many sets at this really close proximity to failure can we get away with, right? That, that he can recover from and it's not impacting performance and all of that. So we started the block out a little bit less volume right fewer sets than what he's used to doing what what seems to to lead to good outcomes for him and we just increased that proximity to failure just made sure we were getting pretty close and um mm -hmm. just see how does that feel right how's our performance going how's your subjective recovery um you know mentally and physically all that kind of stuff and then the next week if he felt awesome and all signs were good let's add you know a set here and there right just get a little bit closer to your normal uh amount of sets see how that feels and kind of week to week we, we did that to try to sort of find his his sweet spot and eventually we did and uh we needed to deload at that point right because we're like okay we, we found it um and so now in this <laughs> block i know that number much much better so i can kind of get there sooner we can hang out in that sweet spot a little bit longer and it seems like you know for him obviously this is just one person right so but for him we wound up pretty much the amount of volume he was doing before um, you know, he just kind of got used to training a bit closer to failure. And th that was sort of my experience with myself personally. Um, other people, it's not the case, right? Other people we've had to go, uh, substantially lower volume. And in that case, it's, it's a difficult decision of, is this worth it or not? Right. You know, it's comes back to that is volume or proximity to failure more important, uh, for, for, for hypertrophy. And we don't know. <laughs> so, right. um, as of right now, I think that what I would probably do is if that closer proximity to failure is impacting your ability to do volume just a little bit, I think that's probably worth it. If it's impacting it a lot, my mm -hmm. playing it safe answer is probably let's stay a little bit further from failure so we can keep that volume in there. And then as we learn more, as we get more research, then uh, then we'll know better, you know, which of those is is indeed the way to go. But, uh, right. but yeah, and, and I think that's much more so a, a problem for people focused on hypertrophy, just because with, with strength, like I said, I, I tend to try to keep things, you know, back, back a bit more. So we don't run into that issue quite as much, um, anyway, but yeah, it's, it's, 
it's very interesting. It's it's one of the things that I've been thinking about the most lately, and I'm really excited to understand it. Um, but who knows how long that's going to take, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> a few years, uh, probably few years. <laughs> more than a few yep. years. Yeah. Uh, Leanne, you have anything to add? No, I would just say that I'm very interested in uh, what you guys find. Uh, uh, it, it is a very interesting topic uh, about uh, sacrificing volume and getting closer to you, or should I do the opposite? Uh, and I would love to, to hear it. Um, yeah. Would you like to say, guys, anything more? Yeah, I think it's interesting what you, what, uh, what you said, Jake, that uh, maybe you can start with a lower volume, working closer to failure, and then gradually seeing if you can increase the volume. And you said that mm -hmm. he, eventually he finished with the same volume he did earlier, right? Like in the yeah. um, earlier cycles, uh, mm -hmm. but closer to failure. So it's also an option. 100%, 100%. It just depends right. on the, it seems to just kind of depend on the person and what they recover from and, and that sort of thing. Because ideally, like it, on paper, the perfect program, tons of volume, really close to failure, right? Like that would be awesome. <laughs> But right. it just, you know, we we probably can't do that. So just finding that balance is is tricky, especially when we're not sure which, you know, which lever to prioritize. So it's still kind of a judgment call and and sort of a, uh, you know, a little bit of intuition I think goes into it too, which is, I the the scientist in me doesn't like to say that, but I, I think that, you know. I'm sure you guys know this, right? Like the, the more you've been coaching, you start to kind of build that a little bit. And it's like, okay, this just feels right. Or this seems to be, um, you know, well, this just feels right as fine as long as you follow it up with, are they actually making progress? Um, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. But I, I circle back to like, man, so many bodybuilders in the past, like there was these distinct camps, right? The the volume junkies, tons of volume or the, the hit guys, like one set to absolute failure. And they still got huge. Right. So there, the, the stakes aren't that high. Like they're, they're still going to grow. It's just, is it optimal or not? Um, right. Which we certainly care about and we want to get, you know, get closer to that, but you know, suboptimal in this case doesn't mean zero growth, right? It, maybe it means 90% or 95% or whatever. We don't know, but you know, it's, it, it that kind of removes a little bit of the anxiety from it for me to just be like, mm -hmm. they're still going to make progress. It's still Okay but let's just see if we can get it a little bit better. Yeah, right. I, I would say that the, the more advanced you are, the more you need to, to appreciate the, the progress you, you're doing, uh, even if it's not, before it's optimal. Yeah. Uh, uh, would you like yeah. to add uh, anything more? Yes, I, I have uh, one question uh, now that I think of um, about this psychology of auto-regulation and uh, reps and reserve. So uh, yeah. specifically in uh, strength training, so uh, do you think uh, or do when you when you coach uh, athletes, do you think there are any differences in how you write the program based on how you perceive their psychology? So let's say for some individuals, uh, they prefer working at higher intense uh, higher intensities, they feel comfortable in higher intensities. And for other individuals, maybe they have, you said anxiety. So maybe they have anxiety of heavier weights or working heavy uh, frequently. So I'm interested to hear your uh, thoughts. Yeah. On this Just to clarify things, Rami is a sports psychologist. And that's why. Oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. super cool. Uh, I actually yeah. thought about trying to go into that um, back when I was starting grad school. And then uh, I got roped into the hypertrophy research. And I was like, okay, I got to do that. But um, yeah, sports psychology is really, really cool. Um, 
so it's I I do uh short answer is yes but it's <laughs> it gets a little bit interesting right because I, I think that the the athlete's preference absolutely matters um be, mostly because of adherence right and they're and they're going to try so much harder if they love what they're doing we need to sometimes help them contain that just a little bit if we know it's just going to you know destroy them and uh, just too fatiguing it's like okay let's give you some of that but then pull back a little bit um you know and try uh, sort of that that same idea of the volume stuff trying to find that sweet spot of what is is going to help them be successful but then what keeps them happy and engaged and, and that sort of thing and some people gen like just genuinely do better having more sets closer to failure you know so if that's someone's preference and that's what they feel best in and and that sort of thing then i'm like okay let's try it you know and kind of see how it goes um on the other hand if somebody is really does not like going close to failure for whatever reason sometimes it's the same thing like okay let's try it see how it goes I do think, especially for muscle growth, we probably want to have some stuff that gets closer. Um, right. But but even then, that probably matters the most when the reps are higher. So if they really don't like going close to failure, let's just do heavier loads on average, right? Maybe we do more sets of 10, less sets of 15, that kind of thing. Kind of help to hedge our bets a little bit there. Um, for strength, for those people like me who get very anxious for those heavy top sets, I think that you know, staying away from it a bit can be nice just so we don't stress them out too much, but we do need to do some of it. And in some cases, it's actually helpful to do a bit more um, just because I think a lot of times that confidence and competence comes from experience. And sometimes we need that literal firsthand experience of I just did this last week and everything was okay. Mm -hmm. So now I know mm -hmm. this week I can, you know, that sort of thing. So kind of uh nudging that that threshold up a little bit i think exposing can be, uh, exposing be, yeah exposing 100 yeah i think that 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 was a game changer for me my my coach made me do that and it, it was super helpful um it's kind of scary in the moment sometimes but uh but that's okay right that's part of the growth process too you know so um i think that's that's definitely a a helpful thing to do for for that strength uh you know focus specifically yeah Great. Great. Thank you. Thank, thank you. And I want to take, thank you, Jake. I think we covered some insightful information today. Uh, I know I was fascinated. Um, so thank you very much. We appreciate it and hope to talk to you soon. And for you listeners, if you stay with us so far, so thank you also. And we left you some links down below. So make sure to check them and stay tuned. <laughs>